Hey, everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 84 of the I Suck at Jiu Jitsu show. You know, you can... All right, new episode out now, ready to go. Uh, I missed this posting consecutively for the first time in like 40 something episodes. Uh, I've been very consistent on the podcast, but last week I was not. I'm not really apologizing because I had good reason. I had really good reason, actually. Um, I was asked to be the MC of a, a, a telephone. Uh, so basically, my mom, um, I guess I'll take even a farther step back. I will go to a, a legendary YouTube comment that is on my match, uh, the, the fight that I had with Murillo Santana. Uh, Murillo and I fought like two years ago. One of the top comments on the YouTube video is, hmm, that doesn't really look like a Joshua McKinney. And uh, uh, yes, that's a solid joke. If you guys do not watch on YouTube, if you only have ever heard my voice, I don't look like a Josh McKinney. I am actually half Filipino. Uh, my mom moved here when she was nine years old. And, uh, you know, and living here, getting married, starting a family, uh, she went on a missions trip about 17 years ago and uh, it inspired her to start a nonprofit. The nonprofit is called Mission 111. And um, she has been uh, not always under this banner, but has been operating Mission 111 for the last 17 years. And uh, it's a really, really awesome ministry where they do good um, locally for our area in St. Louis and um, a lot of things internationally. They have um, a guest house for different missionaries to go to in Haiti. Uh, they have uh, a school that they run. They have actually a few schools that they run. They have different feeding programs in Haiti. They do a lot of similar things in the Philippines too, uh, which is where my mom is originally from. And uh, I got asked to be the MC of this telethon. We were able to raise like $43,000 for, uh, uh, for the charity. And so it was really, uh, really fun event, but it took an incredible amount of work. And to be honest, I am four days out from, um, from doing the telethon, but all the lead up in the work and then the, the three hours plus of actually being on video and doing the telethon was one of the most exhausting things that I have ever done in my life, without a doubt, one of the most exhausting things. Uh, I really don't think I've ever been that tired in my life. I'm still obviously uh, not recovered from it. I'm still tired, uh, but that will actually bring me into next week's episode. My mind is firing again. I'm starting to be able to do things again. And so uh, next week, I just wanted to make sure to share with you guys an episode on training, on progressing when you're tired, when things are out of hand in your life when you uh, are struggling to be able to find the time to train. How do you how do you train? How do you get better? And how do you do that while preventing injury? Uh, so I think that'll be a fun episode. But today I have a really fun episode. 
uh, I get to sit down with my friend, Devin Parata. If you guys do not know Devin, uh, he is kind of an OG of Kansas City Jiu-Jitsu. He is, uh, uh, Devin actually fought twice as, as brown belt. So we were, uh, we were competitors against each other for a while. And now uh, we're always friends. Uh, I always got along really well with Devin, but now uh, we are teammates. Uh, he recently, he is one of the newest members of TAC Team, which is uh, the affiliation that I am a part of. And uh, so it's been cool. Uh, as soon as he kind of jumped on, he's coming down and training with us and, and the crew that we have in St. Louis. Uh, and then a few of us uh, have gotten to go down to Kansas City, to go across to Kansas City and uh, hang out with him a little bit. Uh, just such a cool guy, such a fun guy uh, going to their school. Um, uh, it is uh, in the top of Body Fit Kansas City. Uh, which is a really, really cool gym, uh, kind of in the downtown Kansas City area. I think you guys would really like it if you are visiting Kansas City or if you were in Kansas City and you were looking for a place to train. I really enjoyed it. If you listen to this podcast, I think that would be the perfect type of training for you. Uh, I came in, everybody was super nice, but no one was overly nice. Everybody came to train to roll hard and that was really really fun to get to do uh, a lot of times you go in and maybe people are a little too crazy and they're trying to kill you because you're an upper belt that's from out of town nobody did that but they tried to kill me just enough that i felt respected and had fun and so uh, i think that's the kind of training that we all want but i digress so with this episode uh devin is it's hard to explain, like it's hard to preface what it is, but um, and we'll get into it in the episode. But I think uh, something to note, this is when I think about Devin, um, I immediately, before this episode, just always think of like, yeah, Devin's super tough. That's always going to be how people are going to, uh, that's how they're going to uh, uh, think about him. That's like if you had one word to describe Devin super good dude super funny guy but tough is the first word that i would use and we get to kind of see where that toughness came from um we talk about this on the show a lot that toughness is not something you were born with uh toughness is a character trait it is something that you develop over time by putting yourself in situations where you have to be tough and there is nobody that i think is a better example of this uh more than Devin, you guys will just, uh, you will love the the toughness training that Devin went through. You will love that you aren't going through that training. Uh, and I think you guys will love the episode. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. All right, Devin, how are you doing, man? Good, man. Doing good. Good. Everything, uh, everything good since the last time I saw you three days ago, four days ago? Yeah, everything's been pretty good besides what we kind of just spoke about before the podcast with uh, with my arm. But other than that, like everything's been and considering the times, everything's been going great. Been back to competing this year and, and, and training pretty hard. So, yeah, it's been been awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I wanted to start out uh, on this episode. Normally, I don't this is not my start when it comes to uh, interviews, but I actually don't know the answer to this. So I wanted to ask what got you started in jujitsu? 
So uh, it's kind of, I mean, obviously I, I saw the UFC stuff at the very beginning, but it wasn't really that that got me interested. It was actually, I think, the Ultimate Fighter. So that came out about 2005. And uh-huh. I got more so interested in fighting than I did jujitsu, but I realized, you know, jujitsu is probably a part of that. But in Kansas City, there wasn't really anywhere you can uh, train jujitsu. There was no actual jujitsu schools, Brazilian jujitsu schools. I mean, there was, I think there was Japanese jujitsu and stuff like that. But I think it was probably Diego Sanchez on that show and his talk about, and Kenny Florian and both those guys talking about Brazilian jujitsu. I'm like, this is the one. This is Uh what I have to try to find. So I actually went to a, uh, Barnes and Noble and I and I picked up a magazine it was called Ultimate MMA it may have been Ultimate Grappling one, they switched somewhere in between uh-huh. but I, I opened it up and I found a Pedro Sour affiliate page and it happened they happened to have an affiliate two miles from my house and I never <laughs> heard of this so and this is this is 2005 2006 I started in 2006 and this is before Facebook was even really a thing there wasn't uh-huh. really any kind of networking so I called the guy and he's actually teaching out of his basement. Somehow he's able to make it into the magazine, but teaching out of his basement. <laughs> so he was a blue belt and uh, I hit him up and that's how I got introduced to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I started, I believe that was May, 2006 was my very first class. That so it was is, Ultimate Fighter. Ultimate Fighter got me into it. That's awesome. People couldn't even imagine nowadays, like your head coach being a blue belt, but back then it was normal. Yeah, there was. So when I finally found out there was an actual jujitsu gym here, I believe it was, I think KCBJJ was the very first one. And uh, they were teaching out of the police academy. So it wasn't even a gym at the time. And I believe Bircher was a, a purple belt and maybe Ethan was a brown belt. But they, that was like, those were two unicorns. There was uh-huh. no, no such thing around here. Like, like, like the guy in that was a blue belt. And I thought that was crazy. And so that was really nothing at all at the time. So to see how many black belts are in town now and how much jiu-jitsu has grown since 2006. So 15 years is insane. What is, and, and I have some familiarity with it, but not a ton. What is the, uh, what is the jujitsu scene in Kansas city like? So it's blown up quite a bit these last couple of years. Um, the very first and like founding school was KCBJJ and we kind of all throughout the years kind of trained their crusher in there. Jason was, and Ethan were very open. Like they didn't really care who you were affiliated with. It was kind Mm -hmm. of a a club. You could just go train whenever you want. Um, And that's how I met a lot of my close training partners nowadays. But so I I started with this guy, the blue belt from Pedro Sauer. That led me to a place called Dragon Family Martial Arts, which is where I met. We linked up there to find a martial arts school he could train out of. And uh, that's where I met David Littlewood, Baba, the guy you met on who uh-huh. owns Body Fit. He was there teaching Jeet Kune Do, and he also wanted to fight. So uh, that's where I end up linking up with him, and that's how we started our own little association. And through that, he met Clean at a seminar at ATT Mo when Clean moved here from Florida, and that's how we got under. Like long story short, that's how we got under Clean. But Clean, so we found out about KCBJJ and the, those guys over there. And that was only like the real actual jujitsu club. And we would go cross train over there, but with clean, he kind of took us, me and David under his wing and kept us. And where we were at in independence, Missouri, uh-huh. wasn't really close to where KCBJJ was. So we started our own club there with clean and those, them 
KCBJJ in a place that was also affiliated under Hanat Tavares, Blue Springs Jiu-Jitsu was really the only places that I remember back then that had Jiu-Jitsu. But nowadays, me and David stay together. There's KCBJJ, there's Blue Springs Jiu-Jitsu, there's a ton of Hanato Tavares affiliates around here. So Hanato Tavares really has like a stronghold on the Kansas City scene. I think he has like five or six affiliations here. There's some Leo Pisanya Kronos affiliations uh-huh. here um, with Brazil Academy. That's a big one with, with Ninja. Mm-hmm. He's super awesome dude. Um, so that's really what it is. I, they just opened a Gracie Baja, an actual Gracie Baja affiliate in Overland Park, which is on the Kansas side. So it's really blown up, like especially these last couple of years. There's, it went from like, I swear there's like one black belt in town in 2011 when Bertrand got a black belt to now there's like, you turn your head a few times and you see 20, 30 black belts, man. There's black belts all over the place. So it's been pretty awesome to see it grow. And I'm happy that it's going this much. And, and uh, I've, been, I've been wanting to be a big part of that growth and, and trying to put Kansas City on the map as a legitimate place of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's Hanato Tavares, a lot of, of Hanato Tavares affiliates, Leo Pisani affiliates. Um, we were kind of always under clean. Now we're with you guys, tag team affiliate. We're the one <clears throat> tag team affiliate here. So trying to build that up now and make that a, a stronghold in Kansas yeah. City. So that's good, yeah, that's, man. That's good. Do you, uh, um, I guess there are a few places. Actually, first we'll go in. How competitive is the scene? Like what is the, if there is a Kansas City Jiu-Jitsu tournament, is everybody going to show up and is there kind of like team rivalry, not even in a negative way, but you know, you're trying to beat, or is it still pretty friendly amongst the black belts since you guys all used to train together? And uh, yeah. Uh, so for the most part, it's, it's pretty friendly. And man, I really like the heyday of it's the best time I believe in the Kansas city scene was actually when I was a purple belt. And that's when everybody got along. We were all friends. There was no negativity. There was no like, a ride, like I was a brown belt when it happened, but there was a lot of, man, drama behind the scenes. Some uh-huh. involved me, a lot not involving me, but my friends that yeah. were training at certain places. And I definitely won't get into that because that's their business. But what happened was it did split a lot of us up. Mm-hmm. So we don't cross train as much. And that sucks to see, man, because I would go like, I lived in South Florida as a blue belt. I stayed for about off and on about six months. I lived down there and trained at Pablo Popovich's gym. And they had, that was the time of the Avengers. Buchecha had just left, but Cyborg, uh, Wagner, Jake McKenzie, all those guys were still down there <clears throat> training together. And I thought that was really awesome to see. But what I also saw on the backside of that was there was a lot of close gyms nearby and they all, none of them liked each other. Yeah, they all, yeah. they didn't want to be a part of anything. And I was like, well, back in my town, back in Kansas City, we're all cool. Everybody's mm-hmm. cool. When I was a Purple Belt, Leo would go over to KCBJJ uh, and do what they would call like pro trainings and ninja and all those guys would be there and it'd be at Bertrand's place and Travis Conley, Charlie Hirsch, all those, the big black belts. Now they would all get together and we would train. I'm like, dude, this is, this is something that I don't think is really, you can really do anywhere else in major cities where it's mm-hmm. like people will come together and help each other out. Well, it only lasted for so long. Now it's <laughs> not like that anymore. Uh, and it sucks, but I mean, it is what it is. I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. I still, Charlie Hirsch is one of my best friends. We still train together quite a bit. He's now affiliated with Kyle Terra out in Lawrence. So there is a Kyle Terra affiliate out here uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, which is about 50 minutes west of here. Um, and Travis Conley, we stick together, but they all kind of split off the KCBJJ 
we they all kind of split and did their own thing for their own reasons and yeah. so it's it's not uh, not as tight knit as it was <clears throat> when we do compete we go to competitions compete there's definitely some rivalry there we all we all want our own little associations to win but it's nothing like nobody's going to get into a fist fight about it or anything we're all uh-huh. fairly cordial when we see each other not as friendly as we used to be we're not you know hanging out talking all that shooting the stuff or whatever but we all keep it friendly but there's definitely yeah. like uh yeah you want to win for sure you, you want to prove that that you're holding it down in Kansas City for sure when you're out competing yeah, man, there's so much. Uh, it's funny. And anywhere you go, even if, um, you know, I think I think St. Louis is pretty cool. A lot of a lot of people um, train together. Not everybody, but a lot of people yeah. do. But there's always going to be that battle of who is, you know, whose team is the boss, you know, whose team yeah. is, uh, is the biggest, whose team is the best, who's putting out the best guys. And, uh, you know, it's very, uh, in my opinion, it's super fun because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty cool with everybody. Uh, I yeah. know some people take it way more serious because yeah. they dislike people, you know? And so, yeah. uh, you know, it's like a, you know, man, I can, I tell everybody this dude's a, a sucky coach. And then if his guys beat me, then it's a really bad look. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, and yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think that happens with most jujitsu scenes is that kind of yeah. get, you know, they get everywhere. Um, but, uh, just a step back. So you and, um, David Littlewood, how, what is, is it's, is it Vava? Is that? Yeah. Vava. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what does that mean? So I remember the, the day clean gave him that nickname. Uh, he used to be, he used to be really a lot smaller. Like when I first met him, he fought at MMA at 145. Oh, wow. and he was like super into the, and he still is it. I'm not saying he's not in the health now, but he's bulked up quite a bit. Like yeah. definitely, but he was like very in the fitness and he was net, like very clean cut all about business and, being you know just like the poster poster boy for any business is what uh-huh. david looked like clean cut hair shaven face and he walked in one day and i don't know what he had on but we were about to start training and he wasn't in his gear but he looked like probably looked like a model or something looked very <laughs> clean cut and, and good looking and and clean goes just scream gq from across the room he goes gq it's gq and he's like what is that and he's like va va that's what that means. GQ. So like, go put on a gi. You look like a model. We got to train. GQ. And he just kept screaming it. So ever since then, it stuck. And I guess that's um, for some uh, Portuguese slang, GQ or good looking or model. Oh, okay. What, what that is. So ever since then, it stuck. And that's how you got that nickname. That's a man. That's a way better nickname than a lot of people have. You know, that's a. You know, oh, yeah, dude. You guys, I mean, both of you guys have cool nicknames. So you're, you know, for, forever. I didn't realize uh, that Parada was a nickname. I thought, yeah, I thought that was your yeah. name. Not a lot of people do, man. Cause I don't, I don't really use my actual last name too much, especially since I've mostly all I do is jujitsu. And then mm-hmm. everywhere I went, people would just call me pirate Parata. That's clean would call me that nonstop. So everybody would meet me as Parata. So I changed it on uh, all my social media, the so- social medias to Devin Parata and, it just kind of does its own thing. Like if you get on flow grappling, there's videos of me as Devin Parata and not Devin Chastain. Oh, really? So I, have two, I got like, I did fight wins and it's Devin Parata on there. They had no clue that wasn't my name. So <laughs> I have two different names on uh, flow grappling and a lot of places like on their databases, it's Devin Parata. So I kind of just, just stuck that way. And, and I enjoy it. Like not to get too deep into my own history, but Chastin is not like a name I'm even related to. So I'm, I'm kind of okay with it not being circulated as much. Like that's obviously my birth certificate. That's my actual name. But 
it's not a name I have any relation to. It just uh-huh. was given to me after birth. So yeah. I'm kind of cool with it not being used that much because I don't have anything to do with the Chaston name. So, uh-huh. uh, so yeah, that's kind of just kind of stuck. And like shortly after, man, that was a nickname that like as soon as he gave it to me, like I didn't go by anything else. And I hated it at first. I got like, he called me Pirate Parata for Portuguese, but as soon as he like, the day I got my nickname, so quick around that, he gave me and another guy nicknames. And they both happen to be off of like something that happened to our body. So I'm because I'm blind in one eye. And then he gave another guy a nickname 19 because he's missing a toe. So 10 <laughs> fingers, nine toes. So the guy's nickname is 19 because he got his toe cut off. And like, uh, he got it cut off, I think, mowing the lawn. He cut his toe off. Oh, my God. So, so I got that because of my eye and then you got 19 i'm like man it must be like why couldn't i show up on gq day i got a body <laughs> when i showed up so i hated at first like people are gonna make fun of it like pirates aren't cool like what is this i don't but it's stuck and i enjoy it now and that's how i go by everybody like yeah, that's how everybody knows me now so i love it and i kind of enjoy the fact that it's separated me from the other name so yeah i like it and the, i mean that's how most of the time how it goes like if I'm signing up for some kind of, uh, like, uh, say that, that super fight that we just did in, uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Carbondale, like I didn't sign up for it. It was just off of my name on Facebook. It says Devin Parata and all the, on the, um, the, the fight card, I guess you would say all that stuff. I'm like, cool. Awesome. I don't want my other name on there. I'll take it. That's awesome, so, man. Uh, <laughs> hopefully everybody keeps mixing it up. I enjoy it. That's fun. I, uh, uh, that first time I realized that that wasn't your, uh, that wasn't your last name. I was, uh, me and Ezra rode together to Chicago open and you and I had been talking and the three of us had been talking and we're driving home and Ezra's like, yeah, man, I really like pirate. And I go, who is pirate? And he's like, you know, pirate. Like, and he did, he like, didn't even know you as anything else. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't know who that is. And he's like, Devin, you were talking to him. And I was like, Oh, pirate. And he's like, yeah, that's what, that's what Parata means. And I was like, oh my, and like I started like, oh, I didn't, I always thought that was this dude's last name. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's funny. And so uh, I also have a, uh, you know, I never got a, a great jujitsu nickname and uh, it really is weird because my name, if you really think about it, if you see me, if you've only ever listened to the audio of this podcast yeah. and then you see Joshua McKinney and he's this Asian guy, you're yeah. going to be like, what? What? So yeah. I have a, a fight with Marillo on YouTube. Um, I highly recommend that people don't go and watch it because it, it's no good. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the best comments is somebody commented under it and said, hmm, doesn't look like a Joshua McKinney. <laughs> That's but, awesome. Uh, uh, but back to before we got off on the 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 Vava train. Uh, you guys have been training together since White Belt. Yeah, since before White Belt, man. We took before we met Clean. I fought three times MMA before I even met Clean. Like I, my MMA career was done and gone before I even met Clean. Before we even really started training, I won't even like. We did have a blue belt in the house, and. I'll always be grateful for this guy because he led me to where I am today. So if I didn't ever look that guy up in the magazine, go to his house, do some uh, jujitsu down there, and then go to Dragon Family and meet David, I would have never met Clean. I would. I don't think I'd be in the position I am today. So anything I say about this guy, like I first have to say, like I'm very grateful I met him. But like he didn't really like we never re- we never wore a gi. 
he would like when we finally I finally linked up with David over at Dragon Fan and we were trying to do jujitsu classes. Sometimes he would just no show us. He wouldn't come in at all. And there was times, and I'm not lying, like there was times he would show up 30 minutes to an hour late eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> eating a cheeseburger, dude. <laughs> Walking in with the cheeseburger. And this was like this was months in. Eating a cheeseburger, and he'd have a like a I can't remember what book he had, but he would have a technique book, like a like like a any of the Marcelo, you know the old uh-huh. technique books, yeah, like yeah. Andre got drilled to win, Andre got uh-huh. that. But it's like I think it was an old like Gracie fight book, and he would like open to a page and look at the technique and be like, "This is what we're working today," <laughs> and then come out. And I'm like, and then take like, another bite of his cheeseburger and sit it down on the table, <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> you can't make this up. This is how it was, and I'm like, this is not like this is not reality, man. Uh-huh. And at the time, like we didn't, we thought this was, we thought we were the only guy that had an actual jujitsu dude in town that had some sort of lineage to it. He was a Pedro Salah for it. So any lineage to a actual Gracie jujitsu. So I was like, dude, we got to stick this out. Like he is showing us some good stuff. Like uh-huh. he had some pretty good technique. Like he was a blue belt for sure in those times, which is like, you know, a couple guard, like moves from, from guard and you could do a couple passes, boom, you're a blue belt probably in 2006. I don't know. But Back then, he, he had a, a pretty good base for what jujitsu was back then. So he, he helped us out how to kind of understand how to move. But really, we, we kind of just like – I had wrestled a little bit beforehand in high school, and David uh, had a friend named Nick Dudley who was actually how we got that connection to Clean. He was going to school in Columbia, and he was doing some – sort of jujitsu down there. I think it's pre before clean was there. I don't even know if Ezra or they got those guys had a gym down there yet. ATTMO, but they would train together on the little techniques he would find. So that's kind of how we put that together. But we all fought him in May multiple times before we even really started doing jujitsu for real. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> but yeah, we started as uh, pre white belts together fighting. And then we started as actual white belts together and we moved up the ranks together until he had open body fit and I had just kept doing jujitsu and that's kind of where we separated on getting promoted together, but we got the purple belt basically together, but yeah, all of it has been together. Me and him. That, that's really cool, man. That, I mean, that's a, that's a, that, that's not common, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I have so many jujitsu relationships that I like, you know, friendships. I'm like, Oh, this guy will be training forever. Oh, and, yeah, <laughs> uh, and a lot of times they didn't, and really like, um, uh, you, you've never met my, um, my black belt, Justin, but, uh, he is one guy that, you know, we started, I think I was a white belt and he came over as I was probably like a four stripe white belt. And he came over as a one stripe white belt and we yeah. got together and, you know, now pretty much, you know, he's super helpful in running my school with me and, you know, we're both black belts, but like, if I think back to every other <laughs> jujitsu friendship that I had, like, oh, we're going to get black belts together one day. Yeah, a lot of it, you know, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, it just, uh, it's amazing how many people come in and out. If you really think about how many different people you've probably trained with over the years. Oh yeah. I thought, so, about, I thought about that actually not too long ago. I just like, when I got promoted to black belt, I had uh, a lot of guys message me and it kind of brought up all these memories. And a lot of these guys were messaging the guys that messaged me was guys I used to fight MMA with in 2006. And I'm like, and I thought, talked to David about something like how crazy would it have been if we all actually could have stuck together? Mm-hmm. Like think about the crew we had now, if we had all those guys back then and life happens and I get it. And there's plenty of guys that have fallen off way back then and came back to us now that are 
you know, started training in 2006, but they're, you know, catching up now and maybe blue belts, but have been years of gaps in between. And it's awesome to see them come back. But I was like, man, imagine if we all could have stuck together, which I know that's impossible, but yeah, yeah. like you were saying, like that would have been awesome to see all these guys that we really started and made that brotherhood with stick it out and make it to the finish line. Well, no finish line, but where we are at now, that would have been awesome to see, but yeah, dude, that's happened a ton. I think about like one person a day. I'm like, dude, where has this guy been? I totally forgot this guy even existed. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it's that, crazy, crazy that, how it works out. And you see it on your Facebook memories and stuff. Yeah. You see old tournament pictures and you're like, man, I used to train with the, I, don't, I haven't even heard from these guys, you know, like yeah. I haven't, you know, I haven't heard from these guys in years. This used to be my best training partner. Yeah. Uh, but it is cool too, though. Sometimes people like move away and you just usually assume that if you're not seeing somebody training, like, yeah, this dude's probably quit training, Yeah, you know, but every once in a while you'll see somebody, uh, yeah, I, I, one of my buddies, Cody, we, we were blue belts together and I will see him randomly. Uh, he's a brown belt now. And like he trained somewhere else. He had moved and I'm like, oh man, this dude still trains. That's really cool yeah. that he, yeah. you, know, you just don't see that even. Uh, yeah. It's, it's crazy how few people actually do make it to black yeah. belt. Stick it out, man. It's, yeah, it's pretty, yeah, crazy. So what was your initial, um, introduction to clean when we say clean we're, we're talking about dustin dennis dustin dennis uh, yeah <clears throat> so there was a grand opening at att mo and that's where Dave. i didn't go that day but david had uh met clean there and he asked clean to come back and, and do a seminar at our place at dragon family and at this time we were still kind of in relationships with the blue belt like i'm a super loyal dude man like i tried to write it to the very so the wheels came off with this guy. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I wanted him to make it out. And then he was kind of wishy-washy clean came up into the seminar and David was like real encouraging about it. Cause at this time, David had been driving the ATT mode to do privates to clean. And I just wasn't a part of that. I was, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, whatever, like we got jujitsu here. I mean, I was so blinded to what legitimate jujitsu was at that mm-hmm. point. I thought what we were doing was enough. So he brought clean up. He did a uh, clean did a seminar at our place and it was an awesome seminar. And that's how I initially met clean. But that was, I thought that was kind of be, be it. Like he come do a seminar, he go back to where I didn't know where he was from. And uh, that would be all. And then I like, would just keep doing what we're doing. But David stayed in touch with clean and he was like trying to encourage me to like, Hey, we should go down here. You should come with me. And I'm like, I don't, why would I do that? Like we train here. I'm not going to leave. Like yeah. I got a job. I got things going on here. I'm not going to go travel two hours to go to the same stuff we're doing here. I didn't know what was going on. Um, <clears throat> but he would come back and he'd show me these, these techniques, like a triangle choke cleans known real well for his triangle choke. And he would drill it on me and, and just like the details and the little, little things that I was starting to see, like that I didn't really know about. It was just, and David was doing it to me and I'm like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Like I wouldn't have never even thought about doing something like this, but I mean, in hindsight, I didn't know anything about jujitsu anyway. So <laughs> he, I met clean there, clean would come back and do privates with David. And he started asking me to be the Uki and the privates. And David would just strangle me for an hour straight. <laughs> uh-huh. Or at first dude, with privates with clean, the very first private David did was a shrimping private. He goes, Hey, what should I learn? And he made David shrimp up and down the mat by himself for over an hour, oh my God. nonstop for over an hour, nonstop. And he's like, you don't know anything about jujitsu. You don't even know how to shrimp. This is what you're going to do back and forth nonstop. And then he started adding me in as a nuki and they would do like triangles and he just choked me nonstop. 
and he would never let me, it wasn't my private. So I wouldn't get any reps. I just get choked. I'm like, okay, that's it. I guess that's all I'm used for. And then he started asking me to do more and more. And then he invited me down. I, I, I think he maybe have done one more seminar. Then he invited me down to a training session that they would do, uh, Tuesday or Thursday mornings at like 6am at ATTMO and at ATTMO to let people know about that is basically like Zach and Ezra took over what was left of that after that went uh-huh. out. Like I think ATTMO eventually turned into Kavala Jiu Jitsu and that's where Zach and Ezra Lennon are at now, but they were purple belts at the time. And Kiko France was there who is their t- mm-hmm. I guess instructor who they got the black belt from clean was there. Wade Rome was there. Uh, so there's three or four black belts in the house and they would have random me like Jeff Munson would come in, I think. And they're, they're one of their big seminars. They had like Jeff Munson, Ricardo Laborio, um, Dean Thomas. They had a, a lot of high level dudes coming in and out of there. So we would go down there and train uh, Tuesday, Thursday mornings. He invited me to one of these sessions. And I don't think I was actually with clean at this time. And uh, like, needless to say, like Ezra and, and, and Zach were purple belts at the time. Um, Jake Heck was there. I think he was a blue belt. There was another guy, little dude, they called Pulga, uh, short, stocky dude, but he was a blue belt and he was a murderer. And I just got like, like I'm destroyed. It's not a good word for it. Like I didn't know real jujitsu, yeah. but they were, they were treating me like I did. Like they, there was like any kind, anytime there was a clean session going on. So first to start this session, David walks on the mat with socks. I'm not automatically got to do 50 pushups. Cause you walk <laughs> on the mat with socks. He goes, only one person wearing black or socks in here. It's the black belt. You a black belt? And David's like, no, he's like 50 push-ups. Take your socks off. <laughs> and it's freezing. It's like January or December or January in, in Columbia, Missouri. And there ain't no heat on. It's, no, freezing no. In there. <laughs> it's freezing in there. So I was lucky enough to not put my socks on, but uh, David put his on. He had to do 50 push-ups. And right then and there, I'm like, oh, this is different. Like we ain't uh-huh. here to learn today. We're here to like be shown what jujitsu is. I'm going to uh-huh. be made an example of so i get just murdered as a zach they're just like not holding anything back mm-hmm. and i'm sure clean told them to do that but they're also that's how they train and that's why i love those guys but they're like mm-hmm. who is this kid going to murder him don't care about him going to send him packing on his way so that happens i'm demoralized i realize now that uh i have no clue what jujitsu is i i just was kind of doing something that kind of resembled jujitsu but it wasn't real jujitsu mm-hmm. and uh to kind of make the story even better. I, at this time, when David was going under clean and I had got down there, my instructor at the time, Sean, had got a purple belt from some Pedro Sour affiliate and he gave me a blue belt. So I had a blue belt and it was in my back. We were doing Noki, it was in my back. And we were changing out afterwards. And one of the guys was like, hey, are you a blue belt? And I was like, no, nope. Like, that's not mine. Like, that's not my blue belt. I'm definitely, <clears throat> after today, I was like, I don't know anything about jujitsu. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not a blue belt. I never wore that blue belt again after that day. I was like, there's no way. Like, there's absolutely no way I know anything about jujitsu. And leaving that day, and you would think this would be the point to where I would never talk to clean again. Uh-huh. So I'm walking out the door and I and I'm, you know, very gracious. I'm like, hey man, hey, thanks, Clean. I really appreciate you letting me coming down and being experienced this and be a part of this. And uh, do you mind if I can I tell how it was? Can I cuss? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. You can say whatever. (laughs) So I go to shake his hand and he's sitting at the front desk on our computer and he doesn't look up. He's just staring at the computer. And I put my hand out and he goes, your shit, your jujitsu shit. Don't ever come back again. If you're going to bring something like that. 
And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, so I just pull my hand back and I'm like, okay. And I walk out the door and I'm like, no, there's no way. Like I got to go back. Uh-huh. There's like, that was too good. Like, I don't care how bad this guy talks to me. I'll take my beatings until I learn how to get out of something mm-hmm. to make it seem like I'm, I'm going to put my time in. And I go back and he lets me come back in. And then as time goes on, he starts pulling me in more to his and David sessions and starts taking a liking to me. Cause I'm just taking my beatings, man. Like I'm just mm-hmm. getting murdered. And, uh, I never put that blue belt back on. And I also bought my first gi was a red gi. So I wore that to a clean seminar when he actually did a gi seminar and he roasted me to no end for wearing a red gi. Uh-huh. So I never wore a red gi again in my life. <laughs> so I got all these, all these lessons pretty quick uh-huh. as far as like jujitsu etiquette, I guess. I was like, never wore a red gi again. And I shouldn't have because my jujitsu did not resemble a guy who should be wearing a red gi. I bought it because <laughs> Jakari, Jakari was wearing it in an ad. And I'm like, I want to be like him one day. I'll uh-huh. wear this gi. Never again. <laughs> so uh, I go back and I talk to my guy at the time who's a purple belt. And I'm like, hey, this is like, this is good stuff. I think you should come with me. I think you should do this with me. And he was very anti that style of jujitsu. Like, he's like, no, that's not for me. Like, we'll keep doing what we're doing. You can cross train with those guys, but no, this is what we're doing. I'm like, okay. So I'm kind of back and forth. And then one day at this time, he had been removed from Dragon Family. And basically me and David were teaching stuff that Clean was showing us at Dragon Family as far as any jujitsu program goes. So I go back to train with this guy at his house. And I have that red gi on because the only one I had, but I put a white belt on. And he was disgusted. He was so like appalled that I took his blue belt off. Uh-huh. And I told him like, man, I'm like, not to be disrespectful, but I trained with a blue belt, an actual blue belt the other day. And it was not like, it's not even close, man. Like I'm mm-hmm. not even on the same world as this guy. And he's just a blue belt. Not to mention what the purple belts did to me. Like mm-hmm. the purple belts was like Ezra and, and Zach. I, dude, I love those dudes. And I consider those guys like those guys have been like shining lights to my jujitsu throughout the whole thing. They've always been there for me, even though we've technically not been on the same team ever. Mm-hmm. They've always opened the door for me. So those dudes really have been a big part of uh, my jujitsu and we can get on that later on down the road, but those dudes were awesome, man. And I'm glad those guys beat me the way they beat me. So I could actually see you know, what legitimate jujitsu was. I go to this guy's house. I have a white belt on and that moment right there, we kind of decided like, Hey, this isn't going to work out. And I'm like, man, I got to go be under clean. Like if this is really what I want to do. And at this time I had quit doing MMA. I just wanted to do jujitsu. I was like, if this is something I really want to be legitimate at, I have to go train with this guy. I don't care how many times he berates me, how many times he cusses me out. He beats me up. Like this is what I have right now. At this time, mm-hmm. I still didn't realize there was other jujitsu in Kansas city. <laughs> so this is why like, this is it. This yeah. is what I got. So from then on out, that's how I kind of, got me and david got with clean and we just stuck with them ever since that's that's really awesome that is so when was your um when did uh when did att uh when did it close and then when did did clean move from there and you guys moved also yeah so att mo i don't think was open very long but clean had actually moved before it closed he only did one winter up here he's from south florida He's from South Florida, so that's all he knew was the beach. He lived in Brazil for years at a time, so that's all he knew. I don't think there was going to be snow there. He did one hard winter up here. And you know how winters are in the Midwest. They suck. Oh, yeah. So he couldn't handle it. He moved back to Florida, uh, and we just stuck. We just kind of affiliated. And he would come in once a month from Florida and train with us. And that's like 
like these stories can go like that's a whole different set of jujitsu stories him leaving and then coming back once a month uh-huh. and i'll kind of like dumb that down to what that was um but yeah that closed att closed shortly after and it became i think ezra went to to st louis at the time zach stayed open kobala jiu-jitsu and they both got brown belts i think right before it closed okay so they were both brown belts zach stayed um there was another guy there that was uh that opened a gym in town too he was you know sean woods right he's a yeah. gracie Maita guy now mm-hmm. so he was there at the time but when they closed he went under jw and zach and ezra stayed under kiko so they end up splitting and opening two different gyms down there but at tumo was was gone i think 2008 is when that closed so, uh, or maybe it could have been 2009, but clean left before that he moved back to Florida and we kind of just stuck under him. We basically, we didn't even know we were affiliates of him. We're like, Hey, are you our guy? Like <laughs> we learned jujitsu from you and I'm yeah. like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm like one day and I know it's nowhere near. And I'm, I'm like, we're not asking, but I'm like, you know, we'd like to be black belts in jujitsu. Would we ever become one of you? And he's like, yeah, I think like, sure. I, I can take, I'm like, you guys are under my wing. So you guys just keep showing up. It's not about the belts. And you just scream. I was like, you can't ask a question to him back when you're a white belt without it take, be taken a different way. And he's like, don't ever ask me that again. <laughs> of course, you're my, you're my student, but don't ever ask me that again. I'm like, okay, going to write it out with this guy. Going to write it out no matter what. So he moved to Florida. He would come back once a month and stay for a week at a time. And we would train in those weeks. And this is probably how I broke my neck, but we would train eight to eight to 12 hour a day, seven days in a row. Oh my god! And they would be drilling sessions, break two hour, three hour training sessions, break drilling session into a training session every single day. And I was 20 at the time. So I was like, whatever mm-hmm. I'm young. Like, I'm just going to do this, man. I remember after certain sessions and I was lucky at the time, I only lived a mile away from the gym. I got vertigo from how hard we were training. Oh my like I, I went into my house and I'm like walking down my hallway and I'm like, man, am I in like a, a carnival? Like the whole room's spinning. I'm like, this uh-huh. is not, this is not. And I had to train later that night. So I would just fall asleep on my floor in my hallway and hope that the vertigo would go away to go back and train again that night. And it was just like intense and guys would come in and they would go, nobody would really stick it out, but me and David. And they were just like, it was just insane. Me and David and this guy we called silent assassin because he would never talk. <laughs> he ended up getting, he got the purple belt from clean and he just kind of like, he put his whole life aside just to train jujitsu and it like he spent he dropped out of college he dropped he like lost relationships because he was like clean's main student outside of me and david uh-huh. nobody really knows that unless you know who silent assassin is but me and david were kind of like the guys on the side compared to this guy he had the heart for this guy but he would never talk you would never know when he was in the room we would be training him or you'd look over and he's standing next to you so we <laughs> called him we called him the silent assassin never spoke but he's super good at jujitsu um so it was us three that kind of uh, stuck it out through all these sessions. And that, that happened for a couple of years of him coming in once a week. We would pay him to come in or, or once a month and we'd pay him to come in. I mean, I'd save all my money, man. It was ex- not, not cheap to uh-huh. have him stay for a week. Yeah. We we're all paying a lot of money, but that's like, I would work to train. Any job I had at the time was to make money, pay any bill I had, but to train jujitsu. And that's all I did with him for the first couple of years. That's how it was before uh-huh. he eventually tried to open his own academy in Florida. So that's when it kind of stopped. And then it kind of just started separating slowly there yeah. around Purple Belt at there at the very end. But at the beginning, it was an awesome thing. He would come in once a month and it was very intense and hardcore. And, and uh, that's how we kind of made the relationship work since he moved back to Florida. But we, we definitely made it work. 
what was your, you said you moved to Florida for a time. Yeah. So, so I uh, ended up hurting my neck in 2009, having neck surgery in 2010. Once I recovered and realized I could train. So I went from the timeline there was I hurt, I hurt my neck in January, 2009, visiting Florida. Didn't know my neck was hurt. I thought it was my shoulder because it was a nerve impingement. Uh-huh. Uh, I trained for six months like that until I completely atrophied the muscle in my chest, in my tricep. The muscle was almost gone. Like my oh arm was basically gosh. useless. So I finally realized, I was like, Hey man, this isn't, this isn't my shoulder. Like this is something neurological. You would think you would realize that right out the gate. But <laughs> if you, st- if you study anything back then, like nowadays you can get on Reddit and find out anything about any injury you have back then. Like nobody had a, a hurt neck. I didn't know anybody around me. Couldn't find anything on it. So I'm like, this is just my shoulder. Like mm-hmm. this is, and like, I hurt my neck in South Florida. And the next week clean was in Kansas city and we were drilling triangles on it. I had no clue. <laughs> uh-huh. So that happened in January of 09, June of 09. I finally go get an MRI and the doctor's like, he laughs. He's like, you like, you're never going to train. You know how they are. You're never uh-huh. going to train again. Like uh-huh. they saw the herniation and how bad it was and the bone spurs in my neck and how it was pretty gnarly. What was going on in my neck? Um, and it was completely compressing a herniated disc, completely compressing a nerve in my, my right side. So I try rehab. I do cortisone shots. They had to stick them in my spine one time through the front of my neck. Like this was not fun to deal with uh-huh. for six months after that. Finally, they were like, Hey, we're going to have to do surgery. There's nothing pulling this off your nerve. So I have surgery 2009, me being young and dumb. I talk clean and let me get back on the mat after three months. I do <laughs> three months. I'm back on the mat doing drills three months later. So that goes from January of 2010 to June of 2010, every June world championships. So uh-huh. I go from neck surgery in January of 09 to competing in the world champions championships of June, 2010. And I go out there, get smoked in the first round. It's kind of my MO at the world championships is a uh, don't win a match. So <laughs> I go out there, I get smoked in the first round. And, but I'm like, I go walk off the mat and I'm like, man, like nothing happened. I was so afraid of being hurt. After like, it was traumatizing, like rebuilding my arm uh-huh. after the neck injury. It's like, dude, I'm so afraid of being like, I walked up to the mat and like, I'm not hurt. Like, this is insane. Like, I think I can do this for real again. So by the end of June, 2010 to uh, December, 2010, I think I competed in 10 more tournaments. I just oh went wild. Uh-huh. I went wild and I did well. I was doing well. And I was like, get my confidence back. And then I was like, man, if I want to compete in the world 2011, I need to I need to move to Florida and take it serious. So that's mm-hmm. how I moved to Florida. I moved to Florida early 2011 and I stayed there until worlds, uh, came back, dude, the best training I could have got, dude, I was in a room full of guys that were like one of the only blue belts allowed because they clean on their Tuesday, Thursday training is usually like how good purple belts and up. And there was like, like it was Pablo, it was cyborg. It was mm-hmm. Wagner. It was all these guys. And I'm just getting molly dude. It's not, I'm, but I'm, I'm taking a lot in, like I'm growing so much because of it. And they're them allowing me to be in there. Like it was getting so bad with guys like cyborg, that cyborg would let me start on his back. Like it'd be a regular round. He'd let me start on his back somehow get out, be inverted in tornado guard, launch me off and then be on my back. And that was all within like a five second span. I'm Uh like, I was on your back. I couldn't even backpack him long enough for him not to get out and flip me up across the room. I'm like, Uh so these guys are just getting reps on me. But I was in that room at a really good time before they all had their falling out. And uh, that's when Wagner was still with Pablo before he ended up turning going under Cyborg. And uh, mm-hmm. it was just such a such an awesome room. The Moncayo bros who aren't well as, as well known, but 
like Jay Moncayo, he uh, kind of took over for Pablo's gym after Pablo had took off. This guy's a guy that doesn't ever really compete or did really compete, but man, you could watch him go with some of the best black belts in the world. And it's like, it was crazy what he could do to some of the, he's like one of those guys. Like he's a guy you would never know about. He never yeah. competes. You go to his gym, you would see some of the best, best guys in the world. And Jay's <laughs> giving them problems and sometimes beating him. I'm like, this is insane. So it was guys like that in the room, guys you didn't even know about in the room like that. Uh, but I went down there, trained for, uh, for months at a time, came back, got smoked in the first round of Worlds. So it's like, didn't even matter. Before neck surgery, after neck surgery, moving to Florida, coming back, got smoked. But like, it, it carried on. Like, I think all that, all that training in Florida hit me way afterwards. Like, it kinda, I kind of had to grow into everything I learned. And uh -huh. I kind of I took off after that and started winning a lot, lot more at Blue Belt than got to Purple Belt by the end of the year had a pretty good purple belt run just off of the, the training in Florida. I think I was going for like the stuff I learned and the, the atmosphere I was around that you didn't really get here. It kind of carried me in jujitsu for years afterwards. Mm -hmm. Just to, I would just keep getting better off, off the stuff that I remember and, and, and picked up down there. So it was definitely well worth the experience. I think I got my most growth in jujitsu in one certain period of time in that period for sure. Man, I talked to so many black belts and I feel like so often it's normal that they have uh, uh, six months, a year, something that happened that really it turned them from um, what, what you would consider an average blue belt to yeah. somebody who is a good blue belt, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's like, you know, people, they talk about uh, not all black belts are the same. And I agree that black belt can have some of the biggest uh, disparity between the two. But oh, yeah. blue belt can too, man. Blue belt is insane. The disparity of, uh, you know, you have guys that are there, they're there for a hobby. Then you have guys that are there because they want to be a world champion at black yep. belt eventually. And getting yep. to feel that disparity is like mind blowing. But that transition is really important to go from, I was a white belt. I got my blue. Now I'm going to be a legitimate blue belt. Yep. And you see that so often, man. So you, uh, you, you dealt with this neck injury off and on since 2010, right? Yep. So I, you know, I had a lot of good years and I always felt like I was on kind of like, after you do a surgery, like I had, and I was, I was lucky enough to find a surgeon who didn't put metal in my neck. Uh -huh. I didn't want to do any kind of artificial disc back down there. They put like a little cage in there, but it will take away the flexibility of your neck. Uh -huh. So I found a doctor that just cut out the herniation. He's like, man, you're young. I'm just going to cut this out. And he drilled a hole in it. So it would regenerate back to it into itself. And I had actually worked. It, it was successful for me. I was 20, 21 at the time. And, uh, and my youth kind of helped me out. I was able to recover. And I really didn't have any neck problems, uh, serious neck problems until again, until last year, it kind of reared back up. But you know, the, the good thing about going through this once before is I knew right away that it was my neck last year. Mm -hmm. So I was able to catch it in time. And I think if I would have caught it in time back then, I maybe not would have not had to have surgery. I would have mm -hmm. been able to do it with rehab, but you know, I didn't go to a doctor until six months after I, I had hurt my neck. Mm -hmm. So this last year I dealt with it again, uh, this time <clears throat> to the, uh, the left side. First time it was my right arm. This time it was my left arm. I caught in time, found a really good physical therapist and <clears throat> COVID kind of helped out our gym shut down. So I just focused on my rehab. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't have a job at the time. I just focused on hundred percent on my rehab. So I was able to fully focus on that and regain it. So it, I mean, it creeps up every now and then, like I spoke about, it's kind of creeping up on my right side this week, but 
it's one of those things now that if I catch it in time, it's definitely manageable. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have to let it get it as bad as it ever got and that to where I needed surgery. So going through something like that definitely helps out in times like this where like, okay, I can, I know like there's a certain time during the week where you think you have a muscle, you're having a muscle spasm. And then I feel a little, like I go to grab something with my hand and I feel a little tingle on my finger. I'm like, okay, this is not a muscle. There's mm-hmm. something else going on. In yeah. Here. So that's what's going on this week, but I'm feeling I'm way ahead of it this time. So I imagine I can get this under control fairly quickly, but I did get about 10 good years, man, after surgery of pretty relatively zero neck pain, just neck stiff from them cutting the muscle. It's like on one side, I can't turn as far from the surgery, but other than that, like I regained my arm completely. I was able to have a really good, uh, a lot of great training. Like it's almost like I never hurt my neck. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're training with me shortly after that, you would have never known that I had a, I had neck surgery just by the way I was training, which yeah. might've been dumb like trying <laughs> to, do, trying to front flip out of guillotine is probably not a good look, but like, I was just going, like, I thought I was good. So, uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, I got a lot of good time out of that, uh, out of the surgery. Now I just have to manage when, when things flare up now. They, um, pretty much anyone who's ever met Dustin trained with Dustin, they talk about how, like you could, the, the word tough or rough could be interchangeable there. Um, yeah. so for you, um, you were his first guy to go from white to black belt, right? Yep. Yeah. Me and David were are the first two and only two to do it. Yeah. And so, um, going through that, you know, obviously you've talked about, um, just some of, you know, kind of like you were saying, just getting beat down. Uh, yeah. how were you able to manage that through, whatever 12 years 10 years being under him uh how how did that kind of how did how were you able to get through that was it just a you know you were just tough you just wanted it so bad what was kind of uh you know how did you do that so i mean to the outside eye for sure and even to me man like clean's definitely a rough dude and if you know him on the surface level, that's all you're going to know about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually moved to Florida later on that year for a very brief period of time. And I've lived with clean for a month. I've, I've stayed in this house. I've seen sides of clean that nobody really got to see. Mm-hmm. Like he's broken down to me, like about his life. Like I know so much about him just as much as he knows about, like we have a very different relationship. And I think that's kind of what made it last so long was I got to see a different side than everybody else got to see although I was also got to see the hardcore side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's one thing I'll say about it today. Like being a black belt under clean, he made me like, he gave me what he really gave me to be a black belt was the uh, ability to learn in any environment. I think whether it was a hard environment, a soft environment, like I know how to learn and be, and be able to adapt in any environment I'm in. Because it was one of the hardest environments I think you can learn jujitsu, and it was one of the, like <clears throat> the most stressful. It was, it was crazy, man. Like I saw so many people fall off, and like people hate clean to this day. There's certain people that have horror stories to clean about him. Like, like he'll choke guys to sleep all the time, showing techniques. But like, just for a, a reference on what he like, the day after he gave me a blue belt, he choked me to sleep four times, four times, and uh, that's another time I got vertigo. Four times I went completely out. He would do this clock choke on people that he know. If you didn't tap him, he wouldn't let go. He didn't respect you tapping the mat, but he's behind you. So he's running a number back here. And uh-huh. I'm like, there's nothing there. So I'm like, 
slapping the mat and he's like, he's in another zone. He's not in the same area, world <laughs> we're, we're fighting in. So I go to sleep four times and it's a, this is a dragon family still. And I remember one of the times I woke up screaming. <laughs> I woke up like, <laughs> like, I, like my body had enough. And the guy that owns dragon family runs in like a murder is going on. And he opens the door. And he's like, Hey, you okay? And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And cleans like, shut the door. He's fine. and i I think he puts me to sleep again right after that oh my gosh that's like a hazing period like Uh i just like hey like here's a blue belt happy for you gonna make you feel worthless now and that's Mm -hmm. like kind of how we were brought up so clean made me very tough like i can tough through anything i don't know if that's a good thing like there's probably things i shouldn't be toughing through Mm -hmm. and dave is the same way like david's got a lot of injuries that's caught up but we're both like Oh, this is like, if somebody would talk about an injury, I'm like, that's pussy stuff, man. Like you don't even know what an injury is. Like uh-huh. we're, we're the tough guys and clean would say to us, like my surgery, he's like, that's just another edge you got. Those guys didn't have to go through that. I would like tell myself that I'm like, Oh yeah. Like these guys don't have to go through this stuff. Like uh-huh. this was going to help my jujitsu. Like <laughs> they didn't have to go through what I went through. And then I go out there and I'm like, Oh, they don't even care. They're just yeah. going to whip me up. Like they don't care what I went through. Like none of that helps me mm-hmm. get better at jujitsu. And clean was like, it's a badge of honor. What you're going through. It's going to give you the edge. I'm like, it's taking the edge off dog. Like this ain't giving <laughs> me no edge. Like I can't use my right arm. What kind of edge do I have? But he definitely made us, us tough and gave us certain skills. I think you can't always get in a regular jujitsu gym as far uh-huh. as like how to learn in certain environments. So it's like, so he definitely, man, and I always appreciate that. But I felt like our jujitsu, as far as like our jujitsu moves, like he, he kept it to what he was really good at. So like, I'm really good at stuff that I don't even try to really use because it doesn't really work for my body style. But I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm really good at a triangle choke because that's what clean was good at. Uh Like if I like, I think I probably could show a triangle just as good as the best triangle guy in the world, but it's not my thing. Like (laughs) everything clean would show was kind of his thing. He would do like, he would call them like terror locks and things like that. And it's like these different body triangles. And I'm like, my body just doesn't, he's built to hold on to things like he's never going to let it go. Uh-huh. Like I would go, like I would go do a strength and train and conditioning with clean. And he would just grab a hundred pound band and sit down and hold it for minutes at a time. Oh my God. So he could just get used to squeezing guys. So I don't know if you've ever trained with clean, but I when you train with no. them. So it's like, it's basically like quicksand. Like there's no timer on the clock. We'll be done when he's done. So it's either a 10 minute round or um, an hour. Oh and in gosh. his mind, he has a certain submission he wants to do 10 times. So when the rat, when he gets it 10 times, that's when we're done. And about the five, fifth time, man, I'm like, oh, he wants to, he wants to one arm guillotine me with a gator roll. I realize that now. So the longer you fight it, the longer the round goes <laughs> and he'll go until he gets it 10 times. Oh but it's gosh. like, it's quicksand, man. It's like, he would stick me in an over underpass and not move. And he was strong enough to hold me there. Like he's so built like uh what are they like what is that isometric strength? Uh-huh. Like he can just hold on forever. Uh-huh. He could like forever, dude. It was insane how long he could hold me there without me moving. And it would just zap my hip. And after like no lie, like 15, 20 minutes of him sitting in an over underpass, he would pass and I'd have no energy left to, to fight him because I defended it the whole time. <clears throat> so that's what clean got us good at was like those grueling kind of, but it's like as far as learning a uh well-rounded jujitsu game like i think i've learned the most i've ever learned about jujitsu as a black belt in these last almost two years than i ever did coming up to be a black belt Uh there's definitely certain areas i would say i'm black belt level in 
but I'll be very honest with myself. There's a lot of jujitsu that I'm still like white and blue belt at that I'm trying to learn now. And being an instructor, it's even more motivating to learn this stuff because I don't want these guys to be like, like the kings of a certain set. I want guys to develop their own mind for jujitsu and be good at anything. And I need to facilitate that. But to be honest, like I had to do a lot of learning these last couple of years of what jujitsu is outside of this very grueling certain spot. Like there's definitely spots that clean gave me like, if I were to say anything that really worked for me at the higher levels, brown belt going in the black and tournaments was a close guard. Mm-hmm. I think there at the end of brown belt, anytime I got to a close guard set, I either swept for big points or I won from that position. I won the match if I got to close guard. If it was zero zero, I got the close guard. I had won the match. So I definitely feel like that's something he was really good at that he gave me, but he wanted us to be really good at what he was really good at. Mm-hmm. And it didn't always translate because I didn't go sit in the gym for an hour a day holding on to a, a black band, getting ready to squeeze somebody for dear life for 20 minutes at a time. Uh-huh. Like that wasn't what I was good at. So like coming up under him, he made us very tough. We w- could withstand any kind of jujitsu environment. Like you put me anywhere, I'm probably going to make it work. Uh-huh. Like if, it, if I'd go into another place, that's like that kind of hard training. Like I'm okay with that. It's not mm-hmm. going to scare me off. Like that's how I grew up. So I'm definitely thankful for that, but it was definitely a, a rough upbringing in a certain style instead of jujitsu that is you know from 2000s brazil uh-huh. like clean clean shows anything in the seminar it's from what he learned at somebody's gym 2000 in brazil you know what uh-huh. i'm saying uh-huh. he, he he came into a body fit while i was teaching a class a, a month or two ago and i was showing some 50 50 stuff somebody had a question on 50 50 so i kind of broke down that week some 50 50 stuff and he was in there for class doesn't say anything during the class he's like he's like oh this is what you're doing now i'm like yeah i'm kind of showing i'm trying to learn my ways through this. Like I'm having pretty good success getting here and, and matches and, and finding ways to win from this position and not necessarily using a stalling position, but it's an attack position. So uh-huh. I'm showing, I'm showing this 50, 50 and he's like, Oh, cool. And then he texts me a week later. He's like, he texts me a list of probably 30 names in, including like Adolfo Vieira and all these guys. He's like, never seen him do 50, 50, never in my life. He goes, never seen him do 50, 50. It's like, I strongly advise you never do that again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, clean. This is why I only know half from close guard, man. This uh-huh. is why. Cause he's like, go back to half, go back to, he's like, shoot him on the edge. I haven't shot a takedown in years. He'll text me before a tournament, shoot him on the edge, shoot your double on the edge. I'm like, I broke my neck clean. Like I quit shooting doubles when I broke my neck. It's not, yeah. not something I'm into. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to be a guard puller, but I had to adapt. I can't be shooting my head in the guillotines. Like it's not, I can't be having guys front headlock me. It's not something I'm into. So he'll just like, take you back. Like, I think he's stuck in his mind, 1999, 2000, Brazil. Yeah. Like when he shows jujitsu, that's, that was his heyday. And I mm-hmm. get it. Cause that's like, you see pictures of his training and his stories and who he came up with at the old Carlson Gracie, like that, man, that's an experience that none of us will ever, ever get to experience that time in Brazil that he got to experience. So I definitely understand where he's coming from, but like on the backside of that, he'll be like, jujitsu is always evolving. You got to evolve with it. So yeah. I evolve, show some 50, 50. He's like, nobody does that. Don't ever evolve. Go back to half guard. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. All right. So I had to like eventually separate from myself from that mindset. Yeah. The mindset he gave us growing up and I had to venture out. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of heartache in that because I had to go compete, try new things because I wasn't really getting it from clean. And man, like I've had some bad, bad days in competition trying to steer off the path and get murdered because I didn't. I wasn't comfortable anywhere else, but these certain small sets of jujitsu mm-hmm. that if I got there, then sure, 
I would do all right. But if I wasn't there, man, it was not good. And this is that brown belt, man. And mm-hmm. I'm getting smoked bad, bad, bad. On And, and uh, <clears throat> so taking that into account and realizing how there was big a deficiency in my game, there was like I had to compete more. I competed often. I lost a lot. I would try to pick people's brains when I could. Go train with Zach and Ezra quite a bit. They would just maul me. I would ask and I like, just do this. But then they would maul me. So I take my beatings from them. <laughs> and uh, they more so look at me like, a, I think, a little brother. I don't think uh-huh. they want me to come in and like, oh, here, I'll help you out with this technique. They're like, the, as soon as I walk in the room, the, the whole, the room changes. They don't want to say hi. Like this last time I was in there was right before uh, Nogi Pans last year. I go in there and I'm a minute late and they're already drilling. And I go, Hey, what's up guys. And Zach just looks at me and then looks back at Ezra. He doesn't say hi. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be this type of day. All right. Uh-huh. So they, they big brother me, dude. They don't, I think they like to see me do good. Obviously I think they're my friends, but when I'm there, it's like, they're, I'm not their friend. They're a guy they want to beat up on. I don't know. It's because I met them when they were purple belts and I was a white belt and we've kind of been around each other around clean. So they like, uh, maybe it's their, it's their service to clean to make sure they beat me up like clean did uh-huh. whenever I'm around. So, but, uh, man, I forgot where I was even going with that. Uh, oh, going around and learning cross training quite a bit. Uh-huh. So that's when I, you know, I started, uh, competing a lot, venturing out cross training, trying to find different people with different styles and really trying to, uh, pick jujitsu up. And, and as of these last two years, uh, there's so much information out there now. And I have, I think ability to be able to watch something like a YouTube or listen to somebody talk like a podcast and start understanding how to train these different concepts and ideas and like how to pick things up a little bit quicker. There's so much more information now and me already knowing how to learn jujitsu. I think it's been easier for me to pick up obviously now than it would have been back then. If I were trying to do this as a white or a blue belt, I've been able to pick up quite a bit of information these last two years, just off of competing, watching videos, listening to podcasts and, and that's really how I've kind of like uh, taught myself the newer era of jujitsu. And that's more so, so I can give that to my students. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how much I'll be doing their umbolos. I don't know how much <laughs> I'll be doing but I need to understand how mm-hmm. to at least teach those and understand the reasons why I'm teaching those. Cause I got plenty of guys that are coming up that can do that at a high level. And I need to be able to facilitate that, but that was nothing I was ever shown. So really learning jujitsu the last two years has been like, my, my main focus, man, to try to give back to my students. And that's, if I ask clean, like, Hey, this is what I'm doing for 50, 50 is like disregard, go to half guard. I'm like, okay. Gonna have to go watch a video. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not getting it from clean. So yeah. that's how it was. That's how it was learning from and still is. If I see clean, how it is learning from clean. If it wasn't, if they didn't do it in two thousands, Brazil, not doing it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's how it is. It's very, uh, it's very like, an Amish version of jujitsu, like how the Amish are like, Hey, you know what? In 1870, right there is where we had the right amount of technology that uh, wouldn't make us lazy, but anything past that, anything invented after that, not going to learn it. Disregard. Yeah. Disregard. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that, that can be really tough. And I think that that, that was such a, taught version of jujitsu uh for so long i mean even when i started i started in 2008 and i remember 
you know, people would come in and they would say, this is what they're doing in Brazil. And you would, oh my gosh, they're doing this in Brazil. That must mean it's legitimate. Hey, what lineage are you under? You know, what did yeah. like, dude, yeah, you, oh yeah. you, you get to train with guys that are under nobody and they're really good at jujitsu. Um, yeah. Also a side note about your, uh, um, you know, about uh, Zach and Ezra, big brother and you. Um, yeah. When I first started training with Ezra, he would come over to my gym like once. Uh, it turned into twice a week. And, uh, you know, we just had a good group of guys. We actually <laughs> we actually would lie to people to get them to come in. So we'd message Ezra and be like, Ezra, there's going to be like three black belts in. You should come in and train. And he'd be like, oh, yeah. Then we would message three black belts and be like, hey, Ezra's coming to train. You should yeah, come train. Yeah. And we would just like – you know, we would trick people into coming in to train with us. Uh, <laughs> Got to make it happen. And so with Ezra, uh, man, he would just, uh, I, I, I didn't score on him for like three or four years of training with him twice a week. And I mean, I was a good purple belt and I would yeah. just be like, man, this is, this is unbelievable. Like it, and it got to the point, it, it felt very much, you know, and that's what people talk about. Like, I felt like a white belt. You know, yep. when you're a white belt and you go with somebody who's a blue belt, you cannot fathom how you will ever be at that level. And yep. that was how it was with me and Ezra is like, I had rolled with black belts as a purple belt and beaten them. And yep. then I rolled with him and I was like, man, this, I'll never be this good. Y'all never yep. be at this level. And, yep. um, it was such a, you know, I, I love that he never was like, you know, letting me do stuff to him or anything like that, because it was, it, it, it kind of builds you and makes you say, okay, well, I have something to work towards, you know? Yeah. He keeps it real. They keep it real for sure. Like no, no part of any role will they stop and say, Hey, you should put your hand here. He's going to show you why you should have put your hand. He's not (laughs) going to tell you why. Uh I, I love that about him. Yeah. He definitely keeps it real. Dude. Ezra hit the same stack pass on me for three years every single time we would train probably yeah. multiple times. And it was the same setup. He would set it up by like creating an angle um, from like a leg dragger Toriando. And then he would catch the stack pass and he would do it to me over and over and over again. And yeah. uh, eventually I stopped it like one time and I was like, I've made it. I've done it. Then yeah. he did it to me, you know, six months in a row again, but yeah, you know, like I stopped a little once. progress. Yeah. yeah. And you get to, you get to see that. And so much of jujitsu is just that, that little progress. Um, yeah. but, uh, it, it, at this point, I just wanted to shift a little bit. I got to go to your school and train yep. last weekend. Yep. It was a lot of fun. Um, something that I noted and I told you this, uh, is everybody showed up to train hard. You know, the, the, yep. um, you know, I taught a fundamentals class. We just rolled after, and then the next day we just showed up and, and rolled and everybody, white belt, blue belt, purple belt, male, female, they were going, they were going hard. And, yeah. um, you know, like, and I think that sometimes you go in and you notice like, oh, these people are going hard to prove something. But then sometimes you go in and you say, these people are going hard because they like to train hard. Just and, go hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, uh, I think that's like a, a really hard thing to get a lot of schools I go to people are so nervous about rolling with the black belt they're like yeah. oh man I can't you know, I don't want to roll hunt. and I'll have to tell them like dude you're not being disrespectful try to kill me you know we gotta yeah. you know what what am I here for and yeah, um, exactly. exactly and so yeah. uh kind of how would you say how would you say that 
that that mentality has come about at, at your school? So it's definitely something that we, we got from cleaning and how we always trained. Like, uh, I would go to some gyms like in Florida and there was kind of like this hierarchy. It's like, you couldn't ask the higher belt to train. They had to come ask you. And I just was never clean, was never into that. And I was never into that. So there's, there's a couple of things that like, I don't have a lot of rules at the gym, but a few rules that I really stand by is like, unless you have to show up late, show up on time and let's, let's get to work. Like, let's be efficient with the time. I want you guys to be there on time. And when it comes time to drill and train, like we're hundred percent on the drill. When we train, we're hundred percent on the training. Like, especially for guys that compete, I try to make it a, like, if you're competing or, or want to compete, I try to make it a no rounds off for them. Like you don't have to go balls to the wall every time, but you're going to push past your comfort zone when we're training. Like we're going to, we're going to get out of that. And I make it to where like, I never had that hierarchy. Like I never once told them they couldn't come train with me because I was a black belt or when I was a brown belt or any, or any belts that were in the room. I was like, you should want to train with me first. And when you go with me, you go with me, like you mean it. Like I'm mm -hmm. not, like, I still want to compete at a high level. So I need you guys coming after me, man. Like you see something that I'm doing wrong. You got to take advantage of it. Don't mm -hmm. be timid. Take advantage of it. You see a submission, a, a pass, a sweep, like nail it. And don't be surprised. You got it. Do it like you've been there before and hold me down and make me pay. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just how I want them to, to train with me. And that's how they kind of train with each other. And, uh, I, you know, I think the biggest thing has been trying to facilitate how to make an environment welcome to everybody but sometimes it's like man if i get people if i get people that come from other gyms that are used to taking a whole bunch of rounds off or showing up late they usually don't last very long at my mm -hmm. gym and that's not because i'm being an asshole to them it's just that i expect them to be on time when you're there you guys can talk and have fun but let's drill the technique let's get to work like i look at it as like if you're gonna pay me to learn jujitsu like i need to maximize that hour and a half to the max of my abilities like i gotta give you you know I, I don't i cut the fat like we don't do warm-ups we get right in the technique i don't do any like you're there for jujitsu i'm not gonna make you do push-ups so we get right in the technique they're drilling the whole time then we're doing situationals then we're training so it's a constant jujitsu evolution throughout the class and i just kind of over time built this like it's not a tough guy school but it's like you're just like if unless you have to absolutely take a round off you're gonna train Mm -hmm. You're going to train. And the good thing about getting white belts coming in that haven't trained anywhere else, like they don't know any different. So, you know, I got a lot of whites and blues belts and blue belts in there. They're like, that's just how they know how to go. Mm -hmm. They just do that. And I got guys that come in from other places that stuck it out. And that like Kyle, uh, he's a purple belt from uh, Pittsburgh. And they came from it. He came from a gym that was kind of on the other side of that. It's like, oh, if you want to leave, you can leave, come in whenever you want, do your own thing. You want to drill cool. And I'm like, wrong. We're not doing that. Uh -huh. He Like when he came in, like he, he was not at that level, but he stuck it out and was getting submitted by white belts, getting submitted by all the blue belts, getting beat up. And he just wanted that out of himself. Uh -huh. So we stuck it out. And now he's one of my best training partners at purple. Ball. Yeah, like he's tough. Man. He's, he's a tough go. And, uh, <clears throat> but it's like, it's a selfish thing for me because I still want to compete. So it's, it's kind of like a selfish thing. Like I need you guys to be coming after me pretty hard. So that's kind of how I train. And I try to lead that by example. So I, I, tr I try not to take any rounds off. I try to push every single round I'm in there. And so I think it just kind of builds a culture over time of it's not like, oh, we're trying to be tough guys. That's just all they know. And then I also took the belt system out of it. And I'm like, hey, if a white belt comes up and asks you to train and you're a purple belt and you don't have a partner, you're training with that white belt. Mm -hmm. Like you, you're not saying no. I don't, 
there's no way, dude. We're training with everybody. Like I'm training with all you. Everybody's training with everybody. Uh-huh. So now when we have guys come in from other gyms that are black belts, they don't know any different. I think there was like, I would see guys like you'd be training with somebody and look over and there's guys in the middle of rounds looking at you waiting for the round to end. Like I'm going next. I'm going next. I would, I have, next. I would have three rounds planned out because yeah. someone would come up it, during the one minute rest. I would have three yeah. different people go, Hey, you have a partner. Like, yeah. no, no, I have him next and then her and then him. And then I'll go with you. And, uh, and then you're like, and then I think that, that think I'll be finished. And I think I heard you say, and then he's like, this is the sixth time I said one more. Uh huh. Yeah. This is the sixth I'll time do one I last said one. one, one. Yeah. I think, I think I did something like 17, 20 fives in a row. Yeah, and, man. Uh, it was, it was a blast though. I think that that is, you know, that's just, uh, uh, for me, that's, that's how you're training. Um, unless you physically can't, you know, some people yeah. can't, but I think that's how training should be. And it's funny how much how similar um, our schools are in a yeah. sense that you don't, you know, I, there was one time that I had a, a visiting black belt um, that was in one of my blue belts, asked him to roll. And he was kind of a jerk to him. And he was like, Oh, you don't yeah. dare ask a black belt to roll. And uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to handle this right now. And I was a black belt. And so I was like, Hey, uh, yeah, you're training with me then since we're both black belts. And uh, yeah. I just beat this dude down. Good. Like, Good. yeah, you know what? Yeah. You, my blue belt probably would have done that to you too. Yeah. You need to, you know, and I just think that it's so common that, you know, because that was what we were told, like, Oh, you don't ask a black belt to roll. Nobody's ever sat back and said, well, why, why, why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? And so they, and I think, I really think a lot of the reason is because um, if a black belt is exhausted and a blue belt comes up and says, Hey, do you want to roll? It's like thought of as disrespectful, but I like, Hey, you know what? You can always just say, no, thanks, man. I don't feel, you know, I need to sit out around. You can do exactly. that. But yeah. if not, like if it's, you know, if not, don't make your ego be like, oh, you're not allowed to ask me to roll. No, dude. You know? Yeah. And that's probably a big part of what it is. Like stuff. I don't know if it's like something that came up from the Brazilian culture, which I imagine, cause that's kind of how it was at Pablo's. There was a rule sheet on the things like, Hey, don't ask upper belts, but there was also really good black belts there that didn't care. But mm-hmm. as far as the general guideline, it was, Hey, you can't ask the upper belts to roll. And I'm like, and then I would like, I was a blue belt there. And then I would finally get around to training with some of these upper belts and I would just be beating them up, man. And I'm like, I don't like that. You just can tell that they can use that as a, uh, like, Hey, I'm tired. I don't want to get beat up by this blue belt. Yeah. Hey, you can't ask me to roll. I'm a black belt. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, if I'm in that, like I always put myself in my, that position. And, and the, the example I try to lead, I'm like, if, if I'm tired and I, and my blue belt's fresh and we're training and he can, is getting the better. Good for me. I need to get like, I need to like, learn how to control myself when I'm that tired. I'm getting molly by one of my blue belts. Good for me, man. Like I'll take it and learn from it, man. Like I don't, I don't care about that at all, man. I don't care about getting beat up by anybody. So I try to take that out right out the gate. Like I said, like we'll line up in belts and we'll do like, if there's one rule that involves uh, anything to do with the belts, it's uh, if you see two higher belts in the middle of a hard go and, but you're not, and you're a lower belt, I ask them to move out the way. So the mm-hmm. higher belts can finish that go. Yeah. But I even say like, hey, if you're next to me and I'm not doing anything, but you're scrambling hard, I'll get out the way. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with that. But if there is anything to do with belts and time put on the mat, I would say it's it's that. Other than mm-hmm. that, like I try to I try to nip that right out the gate. Like I took that all out, so they they don't know any different. They just chase the the toughest rounds in the room all the time. I uh, my my rule when it comes to moving out of the way, and this came from our old school. Our old school. Um, was small. It was, uh, 
I think we had like 700 square feet of mats and we would have 30 plus people rolling live all yep. at the same time, you know, rolling off the mats onto the carpet, you know, and uh, yep. it was a, it was a madhouse. And so the rule that I would tell people is like, Hey, there's no way you can get out of the way of higher belts. So there's just no way. Yeah. If you see feet, then you should probably move because if I, if you can see my feet and the other guy's feet, you're probably going to get kicked in the face. Yep. You know, yep. you're going to get kicked here. Just get, take it to the legs, you know, create yep. an angle, take it to the legs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, we had uh yeah, that was, it was a really fun environment, but it was, that was a nuts environment to be oh, training yeah. in. Uh, yeah. And so uh, uh, kind of looking at the end, we've already done, an hour and 20 minutes on this has been really yeah, good. Been flying. I know. Oh, okay. It, yeah. It really has. And as long as you're cool with it, I'll definitely uh, would like to have you on again sometime. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, even, sure. uh, maybe even if I can get you to, to visit my school sometime in person, I have a, a studio that we can record in yeah. person in. And uh, yeah, you know, I think that would be fun. Um, but I always finish the podcast with the same question. And um the, uh, the, the question is this, it's a scenario. We're going to say that I am a, a blue belt and I am at a Devin Parata seminar and um, we're doing question and answer. And I say, raise my hand, say, Devin, um, I suck at jujitsu. How do I suck less at jujitsu? Okay. So I would answer that by, I would ask them if there's any certain area of jujitsu that they feel like they kind of understand. So if there's any certain spot like a, a closed guard or a half guard, say from my example, and they want to get better and broaden their horizon on getting better at better guard games or anything like that, just using this for example, um, I would say always take what you're good at and whatever you want to build, try to have some sort of connecting block to where you're already comfortable. So you're not building two different parts of jujitsu completely separate from each other. And that's what I tell my guys when they're asking, like, hey, I need to get better at this certain area. I want to get better at spider guard, but I have no sort of way to get there. I'm like, well, let's take a guard you're good at and find the transition that can get you to spider guard. So you can start in a comfortable spot and then find your way at your home base and then find your way there. So I'd say whatever it is you're trying to learn, you're trying to suck less at, start from where you're already pretty comfortable and find your connecting block to get you better in that area of jujitsu. And I feel like having some sort of comfort comfortable factor of starting position will help them guide them into a place to where they can get better at whatever they're trying to suck less at. And that's probably what I would tell them. That is a really good answer. You know, it's not, it's like 80 plus episodes in I've asked all kinds of black belts. It's not often we get a unique answer. That was a really good answer uh, to the question. Well, that is, that's how I've learned how to do jujitsu these last two years. I took a place I was good at. So I, let's have kind of how I try to tell people. And I was like, I took my closed guard and to get better at open guard, I started there, but then I would open it on my terms with grips. I liked to get me in a daily Heva because I couldn't just get the daily Heva. I didn't know how to get there. So unless I fell into it. So I was like, man, I feel like that's a good way to, to teach somebody that's like, Hey, they might already have a certain game and they're trying to develop some other part of their game and they need uh, to figure out how to do that. I'm like, well, we got to connect it to something you're already good at. And that's worked for me. And I see it work for my students. So if somebody asks me how to suck less, I'm like, take something you're already good at and build the spider legs off of that and to whatever else you want to go get at. That's really good. And that's, uh, just to, to relate it, you, um, uh, you had a, uh, a super fight. You were the main event of the Fuji world pro. Um, uh, that would have been just, uh, like a month ago, probably something like that. 
Yeah, probably right about a month. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you were in the main event and you fought uh, uh, somebody who's new to Black Belt, but super tough competitor. You ex- yeah. probably expect Cody Kellison, you expect uh, to do really well as a Black Belt. And yep. uh, you got to be his debut. And you were saying that you swept. You usually don't. Usually you're saying you are constant closed guard and yep. you swept from open guard. And yep. um, that was the points that won you the match. What was your thought process to that? Um, have so, you been working that position? Yeah. And I've kind of worked, I've been working where like, so I got, I, I figured after a certain period of time, like if I got the close guard at Black Bolt, either guys know that I want to be there. They know what I want to do from there. And they probably have a good idea how to stop all that. So I'm like, well, I need to be able to open the guard on my terms. If I'm at my very end of all my closed guard tools and I can't get anything, I can't let this guy open my guard. I have to open it on my terms into a place I want to start getting to work at right away. So I started doing that in the room. I started letting guys stand up, pulling my stronger side. So I had to re-get the grip and then I would open into a different guard. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is how I got good at doing that sweep. I didn't just get to that sweep out of nowhere. I started doing it from closed guard, let them stand up, drop my hips down and find my angle immediately. Most guys like to step over and pass to my right. Uh-huh. She started doing that, which gave me the perfect angle to get my, day, my deep daily X hook in, which if I didn't do that in the room over and over, he probably was going to pass my guard or put a lot of heat on it. But I was one step ahead because I had made myself do this in the room, open my strong point and take it to a position I'm trying to get better at. And that was the first time I've ever hit that sweeping competition. Happened to be a main event of a pretty high level card against a guy who I consider a very high level. I was his debut at Black Belt, but. He came off a great run at Brown Belt, and he's mm-hmm. probably going to do very well at Black Belt. The guy was, the guy was good, man. That move and experience, I think, won me that match because he was firing hard, and oh, I was scrambling was... out of a lot, a lot of bad positions that I probably should not have been in. But I think just the experience of being there before and uh, and that with other Black Belts and stuff kind of kept me level headed through that. And and hearing you guys and knowing the time and you and and I everything was just I had a good focus, but it was all built off of being in the position I think I can beat anybody in this world and in close guard and realizing I wasn't going to beat him there. He was just the way he put his legs, the way he grabbed my hand. Like he did everything you could have done perfectly to ruin everything I want to do in close guard. Uh-huh. So I was like, well, I got to move. Cause if he opens my guard, it's going to be bad. I have to open it on my terms. And I did. And shortly after that, it was right into the angle of the open guard sweep. That's something I learned as a black belt. I didn't learn that sweep before black belt. So this is stuff I'm learning now. And it's cool to see I'll be able to use it in a high pressure situation and, I, and, I, and, and when I needed it the most uh-huh. and it came, came through for me. So that philosophy I'm seeing here at the end is something that played out for me perfectly a month ago in a, in a high level match. So yeah, that, that definitely worked out for me. That is awesome. I, I literally coached from, I coached 12 hours that day. By the time you guys got done fighting, it was nine. I got there to coach kids and I started and I got no, the only breaks that I had was making sure when the world pro started after the tournament ended and world pro started making sure my students had everything they needed that were competing. But I was coaching, yeah. you know, 12 hours. I kept my voice the entire time until your match. And yeah. then it was gone. It, it, it yeah. didn't last. I was, I could barely talk at dinner that night uh, because it was so gone. That was a great match. Dude, it was so I know we're getting short on time, but it was so awesome to like see because I would see you guys throughout the day and you guys were we were very calm. You're like, hey, you need anything? Let me know. Like you, Kyle, Nick, uh, all those guys. And 
And I knew you guys were there mainly for Luigi and, and David was going to be in my corner, but I wanted you guys to be in there too. Like I wanted you guys to be a part of that. And, you know, like we're all very calm. Everything's calm, cool and collected. And I walk out to the mat and in the middle of it, I look over and all you guys are over there going hard in the paint, trying to tell me like, <laughs> like all coach giving me good things to hear. But I like, it went from like, Hey, like if you need anything, let me know. I'll kind of just hang out in the back. And then you, Kyle, Nick, and David all in the corner and like, and that pump that like got me going, dude. Like I could hear all you guys somehow, like I'm very terrible at listening to people uh -huh. while going. Cause I've kind of like competed on my own for a long time. So it's, that's a skill to learn too, to how to listen to people. Mm -hmm. And I could hear you guys. And I'm not sure. I can't really understand why in that moment I could hear you guys. Cause it was chaotic. I was stuck in a go-go plot at one point and I could hear you guys talk uh -huh. about how to work out of it. And I'm like, this is not good. His foot's right here, but I just stayed calm. Like your guys is coaching. me somehow like kept me calm and in the zone the whole uh -huh. time but it was a good switch from like hey we're here if you need me to like all of us we're going like i got up and i went over to you guys and we're all going hard like it was it was a cool moment man i thought i was, was on david's really back at one point <laughs> yeah you know climbing on because he was sitting in the chair and then he started yeah. standing up and i'm on both shoulders going get square up square yeah up. yeah dude it was but it was a, a really cool moment because i had just just switched to be under tag team with you guys right beforehand and I hadn't competed like really competed under the tag team banner until that moment. That was like really me coming out as a tag team guy. Mm -hmm. And I had the patch on there for the first time. And <clears throat> to like win that match, it ended up being a main event against a competitor like that against that team representing this team, our team that I'm on now. And then looking over in between the chaos and seeing all you guys like, dude, you guys were there for me, man. And oh, I was like, yeah. dude, like when he almost swept me there at the end and I was like, no way. No, like you're gonna have to throw me through the chairs. And you uh -huh. did. You threw me through the chairs. Like, no way, man. Ten seconds left. I'm up two. You guys are going hard. Like, I'm not losing in front of you guys right now. There's no way. Like, you're gonna have to double me through your grandparents that are sitting over here <laughs> holding me down in the crowd because you're not sweeping me now. So, While your grandma's bashing me with her cane. Dude, yeah, dude. I think he swept me right into this portion of the crowd too, because I get up and they realize that he didn't get two points and they're all going crazy. And he doesn't get the two because I stood up and got out uh -huh. by the time. And I just see that whole side just go, oh, and I start going, no, we're having a good time. So I start clapping. I'm like, no, we're, we're enjoying uh -huh. this, right? Like, you just got, I just got thrown into your whole crowd. Like, let's, let's have a good time now. Like, match is over. I can finally enjoy this. But it was just a, a crazy moment in time. I'm getting swept. You guys going hard over in the corner. I'm like, no, there's no way I'm going to die here. There's no and way you're getting two points. It was, it was beautiful. We had the, uh, cause the, you know, there were pretty much three main teams represented there because Cody, he trains with, uh, you know, he's under whom I but he does a lot of training, um, Pedigo Pedigo and the, the body yeah. team. And so, and then there was tag team, you know, we had, um, our St. All of our St. Louis teams were there. We had, uh, um, Andy Saban school there and yep. um, we had some of your school there and there was just so much, uh, I mean, we probably, we probably had 30 to 40% of the crowd and then they, he had the rest. And so it yep. was very much, everybody was into it. And I think that's why they switched, um, kind of the main event and, uh, yeah. yeah, man, it was, uh, that was nuts. That was a very, that was a very fun, very cool jujitsu moment to uh, yeah, uh, get man. to experience, you know? That like, I, I wasn't so happy for myself afterwards. I was happy because I was wearing your guys' patch and you guys being in that moment. And I think I, afterwards I realized how much it meant in that moment. I wasn't really calculating because, you know, it's my first time being on tag team. I wasn't like everything you're saying, it wasn't really resonating with me. Like 
all the people in the crowd and all their people in the crowd. And it's kind of like we we're talking about earlier. It's like probably a, a friendly rivalry over there. You guys are uh-huh. fairly close to each other. I'm like, I'm sure there's a, a, something going on. And afterwards I'm like, man, that was big. That was a lot bigger than I thought it was. Like uh-huh. there's, there's a lot more going on there outside of what I was thinking about me just winning the match. So for me to, to shine in that moment, because Lord knows there's been plenty of times in pressure that I've crumbled to shine in that moment at that certain time was, that's going to be big forever, man. That was a, a very big moment for me to come out on tag team, you guys being there and us be able to celebrate that together. That was awesome. We were, I had, I had white belts at my gym still talking about it this week. You know, they're still, <laughs> yeah, nice. we're still talking about it. Cause uh, you know, it was just cool. You know, we had guys on the card that did really well too. And it was just, yeah. uh, you know, that was a really fun, like I said, it was just a fun experience to get to share. And they didn't even tell me until right before the match that we were main event. They didn't tell me at all. Dude. <laughs> I walked up to the mat, thought, thought I was going during Luigi's time because mm-hmm. I was the third one down and then Luigi goes and the next match goes. I'm finally like, Hey, is there any other black ball matches right us? He's like, no, you guys are the main event. And I'm like, that would have been nice to know 20, 30 minutes ago. Uh-huh. So I didn't yeah. warm up. So, but <laughs> can't control it. Didn't even think about it. Went out there, was able to get it done and, and, and things worked out. So it was awesome. That was awesome. All right, man. Thank you for being on. Like I said, I really would love to have you on again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll uh, make a point to come over there and, and train with you guys. Once I get the shoulder healed up and, uh, and we can do it out there. We'll do it right. uh, in person. Sounds good, man. Awesome, man. Thank you. And that is the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I really loved getting to, to talk to Devin. Uh, there are so many people I've had on the podcast that as soon as I have them on, I'm like, man, I, I should have these people on in the future. Um, that will become more of a possibility. We've talked about this. I've talked about this in quite a few of the episodes um, that I'm starting to do a few more in-person episodes. And that really opens the opportunity to bring people back. It gives them something different. And um, it, it, it makes a cool weekend out of it from out of town or something they can come and train and teach and uh, have a fun time and then do a podcast. And so I think that that... Uh, that is kind of the future of the show, probably. That will be a big thing that uh, we'll keep, keep doing, keep pushing on the show. Also, uh, I should have mentioned this earlier, but if you guys are interested in sponsoring Mission 111, uh, the nonprofit that I talked about at the beginning of the show, you guys can do that at mission111.org. Mission111.org. There is a button that says donate now. Uh, understand 100% of the proceeds go to helping people. Uh, nothing at all in that, uh, uh, in this in this charity is shady. You don't look up and find out that the charity has puts 5% of their money towards actually helping people and the other 95% to pay for a private jet for the CEO. CEO is my mom and she does not have a private jet. Uh, I think that, uh, Maybe not everyone knows this, but if you ever look up and you're like, not to make you guys cynical like me, but if you are at Walgreens and they're like, hey, would you like to donate? Would you like to round up 87 cents and uh, donate it to starving children? And you look at the name of the nonprofit. You were to Google that. You will be able to see because uh, 5013Cs have to disclose their spending. You'd be able to find that two cents of the 87 that you're giving actually goes to feeding children. And so uh, 
always when you're donating to charities, keep that in mind. Random thought, random thought of the day. If you want to donate to Mission 111, which is a charity that absolutely does not do that, you can go to mission111.org. Uh, also, thank you to Devin for being on the show. This is, uh, this is, been one of like the more fun story episodes that I, we've done in forever. Uh, there are just so many fun stories from this episode. And uh, I've been interviewing a lot of people that I'm pretty close to already that I know pretty well too. So maybe I've heard some of their stories, but I really love when I get to hear stories for the first time with you guys on the show. And uh, some of the stuff that Devin had talked about and uh, some of his stories are just really fun and uh, really enjoyable. If you guys like this episode, as always, you can let me know. Uh, you can send me a message on Instagram, Matthew Josh McKinney, and uh, let me know that you like the episode. If you have an idea for a future episode, you can do the same, or you can email me at josh at simplifyingjujitsu.com. Uh, both of those, that's pretty much where we get the inspiration for the episodes of the show from people saying, hey, I would love to hear you talk about this, or I would love to hear you talk to dot, dot, dot about this. Uh, that's uh, where I get a lot of the ideas for interviews is either people I know or people that tell me of people that I should know. And so that is what we're, uh, that's what I'm hoping for, that you guys give me some, give me some ideas now that I am back and uh, uh, have the ball rolling again. Hope you guys like today's episode. I hope that you guys take time to donate to Mission 111. I hope that you guys and myself can be as tough as Devin one day. And most importantly, I hope today's episode helps you suck just a little bit less at jujitsu. Have a good day, guys. Mm -hmm.